This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the EdTech Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. So often one of the biggest struggles in the classroom for educators is finding that right balance between getting everyone in the classroom to follow the curriculum and the pace of the course but also giving personalized time and personalized instruction to every single student. And we're truly in an era where that inter-industry conversation is all around how we can make education more individual and empower teachers to craft strategies that benefit each student and address their individual needs. The traditional way of doing this, though, is just not very sustainable, so we need some solutions. Where do we go from here as educators? And per usual, the answers may lie in data and in technology. So I'm excited to be back in the studio with my faves, iStation. They're an ed tech company based out of Dallas, Texas. And today's guest is the differentiation instruction guru, Sandy Smith, early reading CSPO at iStation. Sandy, welcome, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. It's great to have you on. Um, Your peers have set a high bar. They're oh. all, they've all been fantastic. Okay. So well, I have a feeling this one is also going to be a, a solid podcast. I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I'll make it easy. Um, well, hint, hint, wink. Maybe not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your, no, just right. So, okay. So your career in education started back in 1998. Yes. So this was as a fourth grade classroom teacher. When you first entered the industry, you know, you're a bright eyed, fresh teacher. What was your approach to differentiated instruction then? You know, what was your like, oh, I'm going to be really unique and give my personal take here? Or did you even feel you could be unique and put your personal take well, to it? Well, you know, your first year is, is kind of um, a little bit of treading water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think any classroom teacher realizes fairly quickly that in a classroom of however many students, let's say average 20 to 25 students, you're going to have 20 to 25 different ability levels right. and, and needs and, and uh, just... Um, varying levels of what students can and can't handle in terms of instruction. Sure. So most teachers, you know, typically would just teach to the middle of the class. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what everyone has said, you know, traditionally. Well, you you know, you, the kids who are really high and high achieving, you know, they're not getting what they need. And the kids who are struggling aren't getting what they need. But everyone in the middle does fine. And like you said earlier, that's really not sustainable. It's not really a good uh, answer because every student is, you know, deserves to grow at least a year's worth of growth right. within a school year. You know, even if they are high achieving students, they, they should grow at least a year as hmm. well. Um, they don't, you shouldn't ignore them, so right. to speak, um, because they're okay. So, like I said, you realize pretty early on in teaching that you're going to have to pull small groups. You're not going to be able to deliver everything whole group and expect all of your students to understand and catch on and right. be able to move to the next thing. So I think my approach would be um, a little bit of like shock and awe, if you will, yeah. <laughs> like when you kind of realize like, okay, like uh, I'm going to have to rethink my approach. Right. So yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I feel like it's it's one of those things where, I don't know, I feel like being a teacher 
the training only gets you so far. All of a sudden, you're in the classroom, and it's kind of like, wow, okay, now it's time to really do this. Mm-hmm. And everything that um, – I, I know at least for me in, like, my media career, you know, you have big aspirations for everything, and then you get into the minutia, and the nitty-gritty <laughs> is like, okay, well, I have to do process-oriented <laughs> stuff for X amount of time, and i got to fill out this kind of paperwork, and i got to do this. And I feel like that's the reality for – everyone's career always sure and in education i feel like the the emotional impact that that can have on you as a teacher Mm -hmm. i think is even stronger because people go into teaching because i mean you at least you would hope they go into it for the money you know i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) for you know wanting to to make a difference to make a difference exactly and to be uh, a positive force in children's lives um so when you go into that space and you're ready to teach and all of a sudden you realize oh my gosh how am I supposed to you know uh, get this curriculum to the most gifted student Mm -hmm. as well as the one that is really really struggling right I feel like that weighs on you especially when you feel like I don't have the resources to do it right sure and I think that's kind of the like the million dollar question for teachers is how to do that how to make sure everybody is getting what they need and uh Figuring out creative ways to do it without, um, you know, killing you yourself as right. a teacher. Um, I think uh, the the main thing to start with is always data. I mean, yeah. I hate to break students down into data, but data really can inform instruction. Yeah. And almost everybody, it's pretty standard, will have to do three kind of benchmark assessments a year, beginning, middle, and end of year. From that beginning of the year assessment, that will tell a teacher so much information about who, where her students or his students really are in terms of um, ability, um, skills, what they what they're lacking, what they might be really strong in, mm-hmm. and from there you can form groups, uh, instructional groups that are have a little bit more targeted intention behind them than what you might present to as a whole group lesson. So a whole group lesson you might you know, introduce a concept, whole group. Mm -hmm. But from there, knowing what you know about your students, knowing what you know from the data on them, you can divide the class up into flexible groups. And I say flexible because they should change. They shouldn't be put into a group and you're the the bluebirds and buzzards for the whole year. And I hope that, you know, you do okay. Right. right. Like you definitely need to look at um, the groups in terms of needs and not necessarily in terms of students as, you know, that, but what their needs are for that particular time or that particular lesson or skill, and then address, uh, address those needs, uh, like I said, more intentionally and focused in a small group instruction setting. So then in 2003, so this is about seven-ish years later, right? Am I doing my math correctly? Five. No, five? Oh, my God. I was doing my math. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I need to go back to school. You do, and okay. I'm a reading specialist. Yeah, right. I can't even help you with this. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, you know, it's the end of the day, so cut me some slack. But in 2003... You went through a career change, and there you were a reading specialist specifically yes. for grades pre-K through 12. So you were doing the whole spectrum, right? Yeah. Well, I'm certified pre-K through 12. Okay. I was actually working with pre-K through 6 students. Okay, cool. So mostly elementary. Yes. Um, that's where you spent a good chunk of your career mm-hmm. working with elementary students um, and helping struggling readers. Yes. And I feel like this space is like the pinnacle of having to create that differentiated experience for students in the mm-hmm. classroom because – a struggling reader can come in so many different shapes mm-hmm. and sizes, right? So when did it really hit you that to get these students to where they needed to be, you couldn't do kind of blanket middle-of-the-road instruction? You had to personalize and target the education they were getting. Right. 
well, that's a really good point um, because that that career change was very eye-opening for me. I worked a lot with the classroom teachers. Uh, they would have reading groups, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, during intervention time. And it is very it becomes very evident, like you said, that the str- struggling readers come in all shapes and sizes. It's, it's anybody and everybody. And it could be that maybe a very high achieving student struggles in just one concept and they may need a little bit of extra time or a little extra instruction for just one concept. But because I worked in conjunction with the classroom teachers, they were also pulling reading groups. I was pulling reading groups. The ELL teacher was also was pulling reading groups. So you right. have this whole like army of teachers <laughs> all descending onto a class to make sure that all of the students are getting what they need. And I would say that it was it was very successful. The school I was at was a, a pretty high need school mm-hmm. in terms of at risk students, a very high percentage of English language learners from all over the world. And uh, we had, you know, a very successful campus. So anyone who says that, okay, if it's a low socioeconomic campus or if there's a high number of of immigrant families that, okay, they're going to struggle, it's going to be tough. You know, they might have a little bit of extra needs, but there's nothing that should prevent them from achieving high, you know, being high achieving just like anybody else. Right. So... I guess just in your own personal opinion, do you think that teachers today, you know, new teachers entering the workforce, do you think they feel empowered to differentiate instruction in the classroom? Why or why not? I think they do feel empowered. I think now it's just about an expectation. Oh, okay. Um, I really do. So that, that dynamic has shifted. I, I Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think it has shifted. Even from 21 years ago when I first started teaching until now, I, I've seen a, a, a major change in how education is approached in the classroom. I see a lot more small group instruction, a lot more focused instruction. Um, I know data has been really used the past like 15 years or so um, tremendously. And like I said, that can be very, very helpful. I think that um, teachers are empowered to, to um, not necessarily, how about they're expected to differentiate, yeah. but may not always have the tools or the understanding on how to do it effectively. I think there is a little bit of a misconception out there that to differentiate that means that every student needs to have their own individualized instructional plan. And that's, I mean, we all know that that would just isn't possible yeah. when you have so many students. But um, when you look at, like I said, in groupings and grouping them by needs and uh, what I keep saying need because I don't want to say uh, skill or ability because that's also very misleading. You don't necessarily want to group students by ability because then you end up with, you end up with a very homogeneous group, but at the same time, uh, the needs within that ability level might be very different. Right. Particularly with reading, uh, there are some students that we call word callers, which means they can read beautifully anything you put in front of them, but they don't know what they read. They oh, have yeah. no comprehension skills. Other students struggle with decoding and have great comprehension skills. You can read it aloud to them and they understand it fine, but they're really hung up on decoding. Right. Even in decoding, there's what's the problem with decoding so there's all kinds of whys that you kind of got to get behind right when you're uh grouping students which is why data is so informative yeah if you know all of that information you can form your groups very easily and 
you know, those two students that you listed, they might be scoring exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So that same that, you know, just looking at the one number score mm-hmm. is not going to be enough. Right. Just looking at ability is not going correct. To be enough. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So you, you brought up an interesting point that teachers feel like they have an expectation to differentiate, but maybe don't know where to start. Why do you think that is? I mean, do you think the education for the educators is like is lacking slightly in giving them the tools to do that? Do you think it's the expectation is always like, okay, once you get to the district, you know, they kind of have their own ways of doing it. So, you know, let them teach you how to do it. Yeah, I don't know. Where where do you think that gap falls? You know, um, I I would really think that it it, it could be uh that, but I also think that it's just a, a matter of being overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, kind of like when you when you shop at um, a discount store or something <laughs> where like everything's on sale. And, yeah, right. and there's just where too do much. I go? Like, yeah. Where do I go? And that's it, me at Kohl's. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so like there's just too much. I can't make a choice. Right. And so I think that is a little bit. Um, and also I, I've seen in the past 10 or 15 years where school districts are really kind of saying, okay, you have to teach uh, language arts for this amount of minutes, and then you have to do math for, for this amount. So every, they're always trying to fit everything in. And then to say, okay, now you've got to pull small groups on top of this. I think that it just becomes um, a matter of logistics for teachers and just um, having, a like I said, an overwhelmed feeling. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of teachers actually leave the profession is because of so many expectations being put on them. Right, right. And like a lack of direction on how to achieve sure. them. Like, yeah. <laughs> we want all of your students to achieve at a certain level. Right. Good Figure luck. Out. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Right. You're, you're a blue buzzard for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, so I feel like an important part of differentiated instruction, whether we like it or not, is the assessment portion mm-hmm. of instruction. It's important to have a concrete way to gauge where yes. people are at and then use that data to then move forward, right? So what has been the traditional method for assessment during your career? And do you think it falls short? You know, like where, I feel like the answer is yes, but I'll let you answer. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You know, what What about the traditional method for assessment, um, you know, is, is good and also what is not so good about it? Right. Well, typically for um, differentiation and, you know, for uh, the types of groupings we're talking about, you would do a formative assessment. I mentioned earlier, it's usually done three times a year minimum. Uh, Students who are struggling a little usually have what's called progress monitoring, where they get more assessment. Um, These assessments are generally very short. They should not, it's not a big paper and pencil, okay, everybody, you're going to have the next four hours to do this test. It's Mm -hmm. not like a summative or end of year assessment. Uh, Typically, uh, these types of assessments are done, the formative ones are done uh, face-to-face, a student and a a teacher, one-on-one, a test is administered, uh, there's, and that in and of itself is just logistically um, very difficult for teachers when you've got 22 kindergartners and you have to assess each one one one-on-one. Right. Like, what do we do with the other 21 five-year-olds in the meantime? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it can, it can be tricky. So, that is definitely a pitfall of the the typical assessment piece. Uh, you might get tons of information, lots of observations that you can make that you would have to write down longhand. Uh, but at the same time, it's very time intensive. Yeah. Um, there are newer methods where they you still administer a, a test face to face, but you can input the information into a, like a handheld device 
and that kind of thing. Um, at iStation, we have a monthly assessment, which is good because we can get those beginning, middle, and end of year assessments, but also all of the progress monitoring yeah. on the other months. Uh, and that is done on the computer. The student can complete the assessment within 30 minutes. You can do the whole class at one time in the computer lab, or you can do three or four at a time if you have a set of computers. But the good thing is that it can get done and you immediately have all the data as soon as the students are complete. Right. So there's no um, handwritten notes from the teacher. There's no inputting anything in um, by hand after you've completed the assessment. Everything is done for you. So I think that is super, super helpful to just be able to look at a report and say, ah, my students are already right. grouped. I know these kids need this, <laughs> right. these kids need that. So yeah. I know you've been out of the classroom since about 2007. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that you're laughing. Uh, but yeah, you, you've been out of the classroom since about 2007. So you know, the, the way that we use technology in the classroom now, you didn't have the chance to use because it just wasn't integrated yet, wasn't an expectation. Now that you are working at iStation, you see the kind of impact that this, uh, you know, really well-crafted, differentiated instruction can happen. How do you think that kind of technology would have helped you when you were in the classroom? You know, if you had to wow. contextualize it, Give some examples. I, I think the assessment component would have been a huge, huge time saver and even a classroom management <laughs> lifesaver, yeah. if you will, just because having the uh, being able to assess the whole class at one time within 30 minutes is, is huge. Um, I would say another thing, uh, many schools now, particularly in elementary school, they're moving to one-to-one -one technology. So that was just unheard of when I started teaching. I had two computers in my first classroom that barely worked, and no one really knew what to do with them kind right. of thing. So like <laughs> maybe some in the corner Oregon yeah. Trail or something. Yeah, right, yeah you right. know, so um, exactly. But, but now it, technology is so integrated, and students are so familiar with touch screens and tablets. I mean, this is not like um, a novel concept for students like it was 20 years ago or so. So um, being able to differentiate through the technology with iStation, after the assessment, students are placed where they need to be in our curriculum. So in a class of 20 students, you might have them all in a different place in the curriculum because they are all at different levels. They might be in the same place. They might be close to each other, but at the same time, they are receiving a lesson or instruction that is specific to their level based upon their assessment. Um, having that one-to-one -one technology, even if you don't, if, even if you only have three or four cl uh, classroom computers or tablets or you have to check them out, you can still use iStation or any other sort of EdTech as a center rotation for learning centers. You can use it um, even cooperatively. We've seen with, with very young students like pre-K and K even, they will sit in groups and they will they might be working on similar or even different activities, but they 
engage with each other and with the content they're working on. So it creates um, conversation and dialogue around um, instruction and around learning, which is really kind of what you want to see in an active, engaged classroom. You kind of want the students talking. I mean, if right. a student is going to be off task, you want them being off task about what they're, <laughs> they're right. learning about. You right. Know? So. No, I'm in. I think uh, I think that kind of really focused instruction is really empowering to the students as well because it really gives them more stake in the game, allows them to feel like they have some direction in what they're learning oh, sure. as well. So that's that's really powerful stuff, and it's great to see technology empower that. So for iStation, I know you've crafted sort of a, a how-to on preparing for differentiation and differentiating assessment. Um, so I want to break down the main timeline that you mapped out in that guide because I think this is just a really concise and enlightening way to unpack how the right tools can create that kind of ripple effect for personalized education. So the main six are start with the assessment, use flexible grouping, provide small group instruction, take advantage of teacher resources, Use the reports generated from the assessments as screeners and then fit your setup. So I want to break down what each of those mean to you and how you think uh, they impact differentiated instruction. And then feel free to, you know, mention how iStation's solutions specifically make that a possibility. So um, the first tip, start with the assessment. You know, kind of like I was saying, I think whether we like it or not, the assessment has to be part of differentiated instruction. So... When you say start with the assessment, what kind of assessment are you talking about? You know, how do you start with the assessment? How do you then make that lay out a, a further goal beyond the assessment? Give us your tips. Okay, so you would start with a formative assessment. Uh, iStations I is called ISIP. It stands for iStations Indicators of Progress. Nice. Um, so we have two assessments. We have ISIP ER for grades pre-K through third, and then ISIP AR for grades four through eight. So the assessments are, because of the age range, they're, they're set up a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with the very young students, you have a different set of skills that you need to check for. Um, but definitely starting with a formative assessment will let the teacher know kind of where the students are, what they where they need to go, if you will. Um, who knows what and who doesn't know what. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of gives you a starting point as a teacher, particularly if you're talking about intervention. And so intervention would be when students are struggling where you need to give them a little, little extra support, very targeted and intentional support. And, you, you know, you have to kind of know where to start. Yeah. You can't give anybody extra support if you don't know what they need. So starting with the assessment is just really, it's just paramount. You really can't go anywhere else as far as um, providing right. that scaffolding or support without the assessment as your data. For sure. What about like the assessment itself? How is it crafted to be maybe different than your traditional assessment? You know, do you, or at, at iStation or just maybe in your personal opinion, do you think that uh, assessments need to be crafted to be like more entertaining or to add some kind of value or curb appeal to the student beyond just the core functionalities. Do they care? You know, is it is it pretty straightforward to just do kind of multiple choice question answer text? You know, how do you approach the assessment itself? Well, I think one thing that is that really makes um, ISIP stand out from other assessments. It is very game like for one. Um, 
so it, it kind of has a little bit more of a a, a laid back feel. Cool. Uh, so it's it, it takes away that that pressure of performing on a test uh, that some students may feel. But it's also computer adaptive. So what that means is the questions will change uh, difficulty based upon how a student answers the previous question. So if a student answers a question and gets it right, they might get a slightly more difficult question next. Um, if they continue to answer the questions correctly, then it can continue to increase in difficulty. Likewise, if a student answers questions incorrectly, then the level can be dropped back in the difficulty of the types of questions. So therefore, um, students hopefully will never feel frustrated while taking the assessment. It adapts to what how they're performing mm -hmm. at that time and um, hopefully will set them up for success. But on the back end, we can collect the data to tell the teacher right. that, you know, they're struggling in this particular area based upon their performance on the assessment. Right. Next main point is use flexible grouping. Mm -hmm. So what about flexible grouping is important for differentiated instruction? And I think at the core of it, a part of it has to do with you literally do not have the time to sit down with every single student every single time. And so sometimes the best way to do that is to group them into smaller sections and then try to address at least those smaller groups that have right. similar needs. Right. So why does flexible grouping matter, though, beyond just grouping? Well, flexible grouping, I say that because you should always look at your groups as temporary because yeah. they, should ch they should change. If your groups are effective, they will change. Um, at the same time, you know, sometimes, yes, you will have the same kids sometimes in a group together, but... Um, I mentioned earlier about not basing the groups on ability as much as what you're basing it on need. Mm -hmm. So you might have a, a high achieving student and a struggling student who are in a, a group together for one concept. And there are ways to even differentiate within a group that is very um, heterogeneous from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, example that I was thinking of earlier is main idea seems to be a concept that a lot of students struggle with. It's the crux of it is determining importance. It, it applies to math problems as well, mm -hmm. determining what is the important information in a problem. And students across the board struggle with it. Well, okay, if you have a, a group of five or six students who are just really struggling with main idea, but one of them is reading on a grade level three grades higher, but for yeah. some reason they can't figure out main idea, Yeah. Um, you can still present the concept within a group to students of varying abilities, but you can differentiate by the text that they're using. So the concept isn't changing. Main idea is main idea. Right. But how the student is um, interacting with the text or the text that they're actually interacting with can change based upon their reading level or ability. And see, that's, that's something that I, I wanted to just kind of ask you about, but you basically just answered it, is that I feel like the potential issue with small groups is that if you do base it by ability, then I think, you know, students deserve more credit than I think sometimes they're given that they're able to tell like, okay, I'm in a group with the underachievers. Like I'm ostracized now, right? They why always know. Yeah, they always know. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, like color labeling stuff, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, I'm in the red group, but they're in the purple group. Why am I always in the red group? Right. You know, the weak group or something. And so... Finding a way to differentiate, like you said, by need, 
but in a way that feels equitable, I think is a really hard balance. And mm-hmm. it's something that needs to, like, you need to be hyper aware of it so you don't turn off the student to what they're learning before right. they ever even hit the small group. Um, so what are some ways that you've tried to, you know, if you want to maybe give some granular examples of chopping up groups in ways where, I know you kind of already gave the main idea one, but is there is there anything else that really speaks to how you can craft a group that is representative of so many different reading levels, but at the same time, everyone kind of gets to grow the same way, and so therefore there's less of like a, wow, I'm in the not smart group or something. Right. Well, I think um, kind of what I mentioned before about uh, perhaps differentiating with the actual text, that sometimes takes a little extra work and creativity on the teacher's part to um, either modify text uh, to a different level or, you know, uh, use an excerpt. One thing I've done even, and I guess the main thing is that it, within your groups, you're, you're trying to re- remove the obstacles that a student might have to learning, to whatever the concept is. So if a student is struggling with decoding text and you're trying to teach them main idea or you're trying to teach them cause and effect, remove the obstacle read the text aloud to them. See if they can grasp the concept without having to use their cognitive ability to, mm-hmm. to focus on decoding or to, or comprehension. Sometimes it might be a vocabulary issue with an English language learner. So trying to remove those obstacles. And I think if that's the way the teacher approaches it rather than as, okay, like I need to get all of the people who read on this reading level, this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it's almost like the way the teacher views it as well. Um, and I think that trickles down to the students. So I think if it's, if the, the groups change, if the groups are not set, um, like you said, red group, purple group, sometimes I would just say, okay, um, you, 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 and you, I, I need y'all to come to the table. Okay. And they'll be like, why right. miss? <laughs> you know? Right, like, right. Just, you know, just come to, we're going to do a lesson. You yeah. Know? So not even having a set group can, can even help with that. I like that. So another one of the points here is provide small group instruction, which I think just is kind of an extension of what we were just talking yes. about. Is there anything that you'd like to differentiate in this point between just the idea of flexible grouping? I think that a, a big misconception with small group instruction is that you're reinventing the wheel for every group. Mm. I mean, that's yes and no. I mean, you can take a concept and like I said, you can um, change and refine and kind of massage the materials that the students are using so that the concept can be given to the students in a way that they understand. Um, As far as small group instruction, I I think that it's here to stay. I think that they have found or, you know, research has shown it to be effective, whereas just doing whole group instruction, you know, we've seen throughout the years, um, leave some students behind. All right. So next main point is take advantage of teacher resources um so i'm sure this one is obviously specific to i stations um solutions in general that y'all make sure to provide comprehensive resources for the teacher Uh, but just in general also you know as um as people decide to take advantage of differentiated instruction you know what are the teacher resources that are necessary Mm -hmm. that you think, you know, when they're there, take advantage of them because they will help. Right. So at iStation, we do generate reports uh, for the teachers from the assessment. We make so many different kinds of reports that teachers can look at uh, for data for their classroom. 
uh, one of the reports is called a priority report. We issue these not just for the assessment, but also within the curriculum. The priority reports are really nice because they do group students for you based upon skill or need. Um, so th those priority reports with the groupings actually will have a lesson, a PDF, a, a link to that report where teachers can just click on it. It will pull up exactly what they need for that particular skill. Generally, we'll have all the materials included if there's picture cards, if there's a text, you know, whatever is needed to go with the lesson mm -hmm. will be included in the PDF and teachers just need to print it. I, we have so many teacher resources available on the iStation website, and they are, I would say, very much underutilized by hmm. teachers. And again, I think this is um, comes to down to there's just so many choices of things out there. So um, I think that it, I think the amount of teacher resources we have and the materials that we have would absolutely hit any standard or any skill that anyone would need in as far as early reading goes. I feel very confident about that. Um, it, it's just a matter of finding the finding what you need at that time. Yeah. If it's something that uh, a skill or something you need that's not on the priority report because maybe and you know the priority report is all about you know cause and effect and main idea and you're really wanting to work on um, context clues. Sure. So it's just a matter of putting into the search box on our website, context clues, and you will get a list of, I mean, probably dozens of lessons mm. that you can find for um, all grade levels. And that's another cool thing is, um, you know, you know, we talk about all the different levels present in any given class. The iStation website with the teacher resources is really helpful because you can go find something that might be on an easier text level right. to help hammer home a concept. All right, second to last point is using the reports generated from the assessments as screeners. So what exactly do you mean by screeners, um, and how can those reports be useful in other ways beyond just differentiated instruction? So the formative assessments uh, oftentimes are used as screeners for um, particularly ICIP ER is uh, has been designated as a dyslexia screener in mm. several states. Uh, the the information that comes from that from from our ICIP assessment provides a lot of really good documentation for not just where a student is in terms of of growth in terms of uh, national norms, but also uh, the teacher can use the reports, particularly our priority report, where they can um, put intervention notes into that interface on the website so that they can provide, the teacher can have documentation um, of intervention, of uh, things that he or she has done up to that point to help the student in case there is any suspicion that there is a learning difference or any other kind of um, disability at play, such as maybe dyslexia or any other kind of reading disability, that um, using that data is kind of your paper trail. Right. Yeah, which prevents uh, <laughs> prevents any kind of jumping the gun sure. or jumping the shark. Am I mixing up my phrases? I think you are. I think I am. <laughs> oh, God. 
I need to go back to school again for this. My for math and my phrases. Well, I'm figurative language. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm glad you're being honest. You're not pulling. You're. Oh my gosh, I'm messing it up. You're not pulling any punches. That's correct, right? I think so. Okay, cool. All right, I I got one. (laughs) Boom. All right. Last point. Fit your setup. What exactly do you mean by fit your setup? Um, and why is that, you know, the, the final main point for this timeline of differentiated instruction? Well, I can imagine a lot of teachers uh, saying, well, oh, that's great if you can assess a class in 30 minutes. I've only got two computers. Well, obviously, <laughs> yeah. you can't do your whole class in, in 30 minutes with just two machines. So I think it's more like um, fit your setup, whatever your resources and whatever your setup is at your particular campus to integrate the technology into that setup. It's not going to go the other way around. (laughs) You're not going to be able to integrate your setup into technology. So you have to find a way that works for your schedule, your um, physical layout in the classroom. Sometimes the computers in the classroom are not the ideal setting for an assessment based upon your particular group of students you have that year. So kind of taking all of these variables into consideration before you hit the ground running can be very helpful in planning and just logistically making it all work. All right, Sandy, one more question for you to kind of put a bow on everything here. Um, What do you think is still the greatest inhibitor or challenge for educators or districts or whatever to approach differentiated instruction? You know, like what is still the biggest roadblock that keeps them from either accessing it or doing it correctly? Oh, gosh, I really think time... I mean, honestly, time is the biggest roadblock. I think that um, every subject and every um, district wants every subject to have a certain amount of time. And teachers are so bound by all of the things that they have to do and all of the things that they have to cover in a given year and who's going to walk in their room and, you know, make sure that you're doing this. I think that just having the time to be able to sit down, um, go through your materials and, you know, have some time to be creative and and think about how to approach, you know, your students in your classroom that year. Um, I I, I don't know. I think that would be huge. I think every teacher would love to just have an extra hour in the day just to just to take care of things. Yep. (laughs) Just to be like, okay, let me take a step back. Yeah. All right, Sandy. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure getting to break this all down with you and get your perspective on differentiated instruction and how to do it right. So if people are struggling, you know, if they have that time problem and you were saying it was the biggest inhibitor, where should they go? What should they do if they want to find some solutions or find some answers? Um, I would suggest that they go to info.istation.com slash reading and you will see there a free e-brochure. Very nice. That shows how iStation combines teaching and technology to help teachers and schools differentiate instruction. And there's much more on there. Amazing. All right. Thank you again, Sandy. Thank you. It really was a pleasure chatting today. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Market Scale EdTech Podcast. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries. And there you can subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from a variety of different industries, including some of our market scale radio content, which is fresh, timely, and always a good time. You can also find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
and make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.